Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of RT Plus podcast at Norton Rose Fulbright. My name is Samuel Raymer. I'm a partner at Norton Rose Fulbright. I'm the head of the Congressional Investigations Practice Group in Washington, D.C. And today I'm here with Celia Cohen, who is also a partner, and like me, a former assistant United States attorney, a federal prosecutor. She was a federal prosecutor in the Eastern District of New York, which is the uh, second office that most people know about in New York, one of the most important prosecutorial offices in the United States. I was an assistant United States attorney in Washington, D.C., and uh, both of us also had the uh, experience of being in-house counsel. Uh, Celia, are you on the air with us? I am. Thank you, Sam. Well, could you tell us a little bit about your experience? Sure. I was head of internal investigations within the government investigations and regulatory enforcement group. I covered all lines of business and I I covered one of the important topics we're going to be talking about today. And that is sort of when to cooperate with the government. Looking forward to speaking on it. Oh, that's great. Uh, I I also had the, uh, the experience of being at a high level at the Department of Justice. I was an assistant attorney general. And so I think we are well positioned to have a a very good short conversation about what's going on. Let's just jump right into it. The recent developments within anti-money laundering and corruption investigations by the United States government are happening on a number of levels and are a great concern to financial institutions in particular. Uh, The first thing I just wanted to talk about was uh, in June, on June the 3rd, the Biden administration issued an executive order which uh, aims to Uh, turbocharge anti-money laundering and corruption investigations um, on an uh, international scale and treat them as national security problems. And so they uh, directed uh, many agencies, the Department of Justice, Department of Treasury, the NSA, the CIA, all of these three-letter agencies to do an agency review and come up with better ways to combat corruption nationwide and internationally. And so um, that was, they were given 200 days and December 20th is going to be that big date. So those of you who are listening should mark off on your calendars, December the 20th will be the day when the agencies come up with their new ideas about how they can turbocharge their programs against corruption. Now, in the meantime, the Department of Justice has taken a number of steps. And I'm just wondering whether Celia, you can tell us a little bit about what those steps have been and what you think they're going to mean for financial firms going forward. Thanks, Dan. Yes, a lot has been happening lately, uh, and a focus of the Department of Justice is on corporations and the enforcement of criminal enforcement against corporations. Recently, on October 28th, the Deputy Attorney General, Lisa Monaco, issued a memorandum that followed her remarks at the White Collar Conference down in Miami. And the main three points of the memo that everyone should know about is one, that the Department of Justice is going to start to consider a corporation's criminal history of misconduct when making charging decisions and resolutions. This is significant because the memorandum specifically talks about the fact that it includes both domestic and foreign civil or criminal actions against any entities within the corporate family. So for those not in the United States, this is um, really important to think about uh, globally, right? Because these companies are so large and any of the small subsidiaries um, or entities related to the main corporation can put the corporation in a, a different position in terms of cooperation. The second thing is that the memo 
is really focused on holding individuals accountable for corporate misconduct and to not give credit, to not give cooperation credit to the corporation unless the corporation has specifically identified all responsible individuals who conducted the criminal or civil activity. So that's significant. The third point is that the, um, the memo also says that there's going to be an increased use of corporate monitors when there's a demonstrated need for them, uh, particularly when the company's compliance program is not fully tested or implemented. And you know, it, it seems like monitorships um, were not as frequently given recently. And I think we know that those are extremely costly. So, and now overall to assist with the, the general priority here by the Department of Justice, the memo also creates a corporate crime advisory group within DOJ that's going to further review and revise the current approach to prosecuting corporate crime. That's fascinating stuff. Um, you and I are both in white collar prosecution world. We've done this for decades. And uh, I'm sure you, like me, noticed that um, the FBI now has an embedded group within the fraud section at DOJ. I think that that's going to make the fraud section uh, much more agile and um, much more productive than they've been in the past in terms of churning out investigations, indictments, subpoenas. What do you think, Celia? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, Sam, all of these points that you've made and the memo and together with with that entity um, embedded, the FBI embedded in the fraud section, just shows what the focus is of the Department of Justice and how seriously they're taking this and how um, it's going to be handled going forward. And I think that we're going to see some real changes there. Um, and I think that, that that signal about the FBI embedded there is, is very significant. I agree. I Listening to... Um... Lisa Monaco's comments, the deputy attorney general, who, you know, for those of you who are listening who don't know, that's the individual who is responsible basically for the management of the Department of Justice day to day, extremely important position. Uh, she referred to her time um, uh, prosecuting corporate crime earlier in her career. I, I worked with Lisa Monaco at the US Attorney's Office in DC. Um, and uh, it's very interesting that she mentioned that because that was a time of increased corporate. Uh, prosecutions such as the Enron case. Um, and, you know, as you well know, prosecutors and investigators like to go back to what they're comfortable with when they, they get into positions, higher positions. So I actually think um, on the personal level, uh, regarding the people who are in place, uh, we're going to see a more aggressive um, a, a prosecution, not only at DOJ, but also at FinCEN, for example, with the elevation of Alessio Evangelista to the Enforcement Division lead, who, by the way, is also formerly from the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C., my old office. And so it's important to take these personal considerations in terms of where the policy direction of the agency is going and what the ramifications are going to be. You really need to take those experiences into account. Um, practically speaking, for the people who are listening, can we talk a little bit, Celia, about the things that you're worried about seeing uh, if you were at a financial institution and what steps we can take um, in the future to reduce risks overall? Yeah, so I think that's probably the most important question here, right? What, 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 do these, what does this memo actually mean for companies and what should they be doing? Um, I, and first of all, I think of people's gut reaction when they saw this memo is, oh, this is a repeat. Uh, people remember the Yates memo 
Um, right. And the Yates memo came out and said, we're gonna hold individuals accountable. Uh, and, and, you know, at the time I was just, I think I was coming right out of the US Attorney's Office at that time. And I thought, well, if that's, that's not really a new thing as a prosecutor, we're always looking to prosecute the individuals. Um, but the significance of course, uh, and I think that's where I'm going on this new memo that this even, um, there's even more here, but it really encourages companies to bring them forward and that's the significance. And in addition, what I think um, is profound in this memo that it's really obviously a lot more than just the individuals, right? We talked about the criminal history. Companies need to be careful about that. Their actions can affect, you know, in other countries, what happens here in the US for let's say the parent company. And plus, of course, we have continuing prosecution of FCPA issues, right? That affects companies all over the globe if they have a connection uh, to the U.S. So what should companies be really doing and thinking about here? And I cannot stress enough how important it is that companies should diligently review not only every whistleblower complaint, but any suggestion internally that there could be corporate governance or compliance issues. For example, people might mention it to a manager or it might come out during a deposition or an interview on another matter. Those, you know, the DOJ has made it clear that uncovering potential wrongdoing in in, internally and remediating, remediating those issues immediately, that's really the key to either avoiding an investigation or at least putting the company in the best possible position to cooperate. So I think that the best thing that a company can do is to investigate document, right? Even if there's nothing, let's document it and always take a look. Is there something we can improve here? And of course, if they do find something, you've got to remediate it immediately and make that decision as whether to go forward. Uh, the second thing I think is, of course, the compliance program. I mean, it's right in there, right? Um, you've got to avoid a monitor at all costs. Monitor ships are extremely, extremely costly. Um, and really can, it can be a downfall of companies. So it's wise now to invest in enhancements to compliance programs that will minimize the possibility of having a monitorship. And finally, I would say that companies should revisit their document retention and litigation hold policies to make sure they're in current. Uh, there's been a lot and for people on this call know about the retention of text messages and internal messaging platforms, uh, external messaging platforms such as WhatsApp, People are communicating on that, even though they're not supposed to be, you've got to retain them if they're business communications. And if you can't produce those, that may affect cooperation. Those are the three big areas I would um, have say to corporations that they should focus on in light of everything that's going on. Right, I completely agree, especially your, uh, when you mentioned whistleblowers. Uh, you know, uh, in my experience, uh, whistleblowers can be a, a really challenging situation for employers. And the latest changes to the law, that is the Anti-Money Laundering Act and the National Defense Authorization Act in 2020, made significant changes. For example, uh, the amount of money that a whistleblower can now uh, recover is uh, up to 30%. Uh, in one of these cases before it was limited to about $150,000. So it's a massive increase in incentive for people to come forward with uh, corruption and anti-money laundering uh, complaints to the federal government. In addition, and this is a, a real interesting concern, and I think companies should be aware of it um, by now, Bank Secrecy Act and AML compliance personnel themselves can actually qualify as whistleblowers now. I mean, law enforcement can't traditionally, of course, but the compliance folks in a company can actually be whistleblowers. So I think not only what you say is really important, but also companies need to make sure that uh, that they communicate a message 
that they take their obligations very, very seriously uh, to make sure that whistleblowers are discouraged because they know that the company is acting uh, with a, a white hat and they really have good intent at all levels of the company. I, I also would like to point out that um, the international aspect of these latest pushes by the federal government uh, can have real uh, deleterious effects on international companies and financial companies are increasingly, of course, international. So I think that there needs to be clear lines of communication between US offices and foreign affiliates to make sure that there is enterprise-wide compliance taking into account these new steps by the federal government and these new capabilities uh, by the US federal government. I think it's absolutely key. I don't think the companies can now say to themselves, oh, it's just a US problem. We'll make sure US offices are, are running on those, uh, uh, according to those rules. I think they need to get um, on the US plan uh, uh, around the world and communicate that uh, uh, clearly uh, between branches. Would you, would you would you agree with that, Celia? Absolutely, Sam. I think uh, those are excellent points. And so uh, one thing I'd like to, uh, as we sort of, um, you know, sort of round the corner here, what do, you, what do we think that the one step a general counsel of a financial institution should take? now that we're seeing what's developing, the extra enforcement money that's coming out of the government, the change in the rules coming out of COVID, which means that uh, a lot of investigation is going to be increasing. What is the one step now that a general counsel or financial institution should take? Um, I think uh, that uh, any general counsel financial institution has to look at areas of their business, their financial transactions that would likely be a target for this kind of prosecution investigation. For example, real estate transactions. Some, uh, there have been increasingly increasing concerns from several agencies that real estate transactions across the United States and sometimes internationally are being used by corrupt individuals, by kleptocratic regimes in order to park money internationally where it is not necessarily being uh, supervised or investigated properly. And so any financial institution that's doing business in any kind of real estate might be a target for additional process and having to answer questions uh, from federal agencies. That's the type of an industry or kind of space that I believe uh, could be a focus of, in, of increased prosecution. Do you have any thoughts on that one, on one, the one step a general counsel should take now if you were in the chair? Yes, um, you know, I think that that, that area is, is very important, Sam. Another big area, of course, is cyber, right? On the, um, all of the statements, in addition to this general policy by Department of Justice at the White Collar Conference, the SEC and the U.S. Attorney's Office and the CFTC were all talking about cyber. Um, there had been, uh, a couple of days ago, uh, FinCEN released something, the OCC had, and a big problem that companies have is this uh, the ransomware um, and, and companies um, making payments to avoid in certain circumstances revealing that the compliance program might not be um, sufficient. So um, I think the government is gonna crack down on those ransomware payments uh, because they're trying to stop this. So I think really looking at you know, the compliance program and, 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 and paying attention to all, for example, FinCEN revealed uh, and their uh, publication 12 red flags. So I think really focusing on that um, and having uh, a council that can, can 
know, assist with that is, is very important because I think we're just going to see it, an increase in that enforcement. I think that's an excellent point because one of the goals of the executive order in the Biden administration that came out on June 3rd was targeting transnational um, criminal organizations that are dealing in money laundering. And one of the side effects of paying ransomware is uh, people who pay it, who are trying to get their systems back online. They're just trying to survive. They're the victims here. But the money may actually be going to a transnational criminal organization or a kleptocratic regime or somebody that the government actually has, you know, wants as a target. And so a company that is trying to survive paying ransomware may actually put itself in the crosshairs by committing a money laundering offense by actually paying the ransomware. And so I think that you make an excellent point. And this um, really elegantly uh, demonstrates the multidimensional problems that are occurring right now in the world with money laundering and corruption and the need for companies to not only have a plan, but to also have excellent experienced outside counsel that can navigate these rules and these new regulations and understand what the incentives are for prosecution to steer companies clear. So uh, Celia, I think that's all the time we have. So anyway, thank you very much. And thank you all for joining.